That's why I think to be a great entrepreneur, you've got to be an anthropologist. You have to spend time in the field doing what I did, right? Interviewing dozens of people. And I did the same thing at Influitive. I've interviewed hundreds of what I call super advocates to understand why they do what they do and what environment we could create for them so that they could um, accomplish more and be more of who they wanted to be. Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. In the second episode of this three-part mini-series with Mark Organ, founder and executive chairman of Fluidive, and original founder and former CEO of Eloqua, he describes how the best ideas are born out of pain and how he manages shiny new thing syndrome. He talks about why Eloqua was successful and said his obsession with cash flow in the early stages of the companies he founded drove him to seek sales as fast as possible. Advocates can massively accelerate the sales process in B2B SaaS, he feels, and that was a key method for him to augment the voice of any happy customers they had from day one. And this also led to him founding Influitive. did you decide to start up in Fluidive? What was the, yeah. what was the thing that Yeah, I mean, in, in every business I started, and this is my seventh, um, always comes from pain I personally experienced from my last company. Cool. Uh, so um, I keep a running record. I, I already know what my next company is going to be. Wow. Uh, I don't know when I'll have a chance to build it, but I know what I'm going, I know the space I'm excited about. I, have, do you suffer a little bit from the shiny new thing syndrome? A like, little bit. Um, although, how do you manage that? I know that if I do not focus, then I am dead, and I have people counting on me, right? So, at the end of the day, yes, I'm, there are a lot of shiny objects that I'm excited about, but again, I've got employees, I've got investors, I've got customers that count on me, so the way I manage it, I write it all in a book. So I have a book full of startup ideas, um, I give them away a lot, so I meet entrepreneurs and they're looking for ideas, I say, here's 10 that I think any one of them could be great. Find one you're passionate about, and, you know, and, and I think you'll be something there. Although I do think the best ideas are born out of, out of pain. Uh, because again, building a company is hard work, it's difficult, there are dark days, and sometimes it's only the fact that I know there's a business here. Because I, like in the case of Eloqua, the reason why I started that company is I had, as a management consultant, I had interviewed dozens of sales reps who were losing their families, who were having a difficult time uh, making a living because the internet was killing them. This was back in the late 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are insurance salesmen yeah. that don't make a lot of base salaries. And so I, and I knew that I could make these people more productive if I could get them great leads and the best leads are actually come from the internet and if I could find ways of nurturing those, because I understood the lives of these salespeople. A lot of people don't know that uh, the insight out of, from Eloqua actually came out of the sales space, not marketing space. Okay. And it came from the interviews that I had done, uh, and my co-founder as well, had done with salespeople um, to understand what it is that they needed to be successful. And El the reason why I think Eloqua was successful is it represented the merger of marketing and sales ideas. Tell the listeners what Eloqua was. Oh, sure, yeah. So Eloqua is a sort of pioneering marketing automation software company. 
Um, and uh, so you'll recognize, I mean, if you know Marketo or Pardot or whatnot today, uh, it basically, Eloqua was that, but seven years before HubSpot or Marketo were founded. Um, cool. but, but I think the reason why it did well was that the fundamental insight was that salespeople needed qualified leads, and most of the leads that they talked to were a waste of their time. And so marketing, to do its job well, needed to integrate with the sales function um, in order to provide the most qualified leads. And that was different from, that insight is fundamentally different from every other marketing software company that is out there at the time. And it was born out of my personal experience. That's why I think to be a great entrepreneur, you've got to be an anthropologist. You have to spend time in the field doing what I did, right? Interviewing dozens of people. And they did the same thing at Influitive. I've interviewed hundreds of what I call super advocates to understand why they do what they do and what environment we could create for them so that they could um, accomplish more and be more of who they wanted to be. And it was out of that insight that I think why Influitive is doing well uh, and why we're so different from, there's many other companies that do influencer marketing and all kinds of stuff, and we're so different. And that's because we're focused on the advocate experience. And it, again, it comes out of me doing you know, dozens of hours of work, speaking with these people to understand their mental model, how they think, um, and then how we could get them to do a lot more of, of that, sort of, um, that sort of activity. So that, that's been kind of my approach to, to building companies. And so my, why I built Fluidive, also pain that came out of my experience at Eloqua, where because we were a bootstrapped company, um, it meant that I was obsessed with cash. <laughs> we almost went bankrupt four times. You have to be obsessed with cash. And so I needed customers to buy much faster. And customers buy a lot faster when they're surrounded by people they respect saying, you can trust Eloqua, you can trust Mark, they're good people. Um, and it's a good fit for you, right? And so, and those customers would buy very, very rapidly, sometimes four or five days instead of four or five months. And how does, how does um, Influitive work? How does it, uh, how do, how does it help um, someone who has a great product or service uh, to get those advocates, to get that message out? How does it work? So we create this uh, environment that advocates just love. And what advocates really want is they want to feel like they're part of a movement. They want to feel like something that, part of something bigger than themselves. Like here we are at SaaS Talk. It feels great. We're part of something big, right? Yes. We're part of the SaaS industry. It feels great. It so people, people, human beings long for that, right? I mean, the people here in, in Ireland, like when you go to a football game, rugby, like people paint their faces here like they do in the United States. Some of them do, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, you know, and, and the other thing is the rugby, the rugby team actually play beside here. They're the European champions as it happens, Leinster. Yeah. Most of them actually come from here as well. So really? they're massively passionate about it. Yeah. So, passionate about it, right? And, and even the fans, they, they may not even play rugby or they played rugby in their teenage, teenage years, but they still identify with that team. They're on the field. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. You know, so people long to be part of uh, something that's bigger than themselves, be part of a movement. They want to know that their actions have um, an impact. Right? They want to get social capital. They want to do better in their life because of their, their advocacy. So we create an environment where, where advocates get the feelings that they want. Um, and uh, and, and that what that looks like is like a VIP community. Right? And so we gamify the process. Uh, people get points and badges and they meet one another. And um, as a result of advocating for their favorite company and product, um, and as a result, we can get them to do five or ten times as much activity than they normally would do. Um, the other thing that's quite quite interesting is that you know a lot of companies in SaaS are you know know a lot about referrals and they want to generate more referrals and it's, it's very valuable. 
you know, that same person that gives you a referral may also be willing to speak for you on stage. They'd be willing to retweet something that's important to you. They'd be willing to give you feedback on your product. Some of our customers even invite their advocates to their headquarters to do hackathons together with their engineers. Um, and in fact, the more you use them, and in the more varied ways you use them, the more they feel like they're part of the team. Yeah. The more they feel they're actually more part of your company than their own company. Yeah. Right. In their own life, they may be the backup accountant to you know somewhere. They're somewhere in the bowels of the company, <laughs> and they're not very well known. But when they're in an advocate role, they're Superman. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They make it happen for a piece of, in this case, accounting software that they love, yeah. and they make it happen every day, and they're treated like royalty, and so they feel like they're more part of that company than their own company. So a yeah. company I used to work for, uh, uh, a small little SaaS company called Salesforce, they're, they're kind of, master, they're, master, they're masters at this, aren't they? Because they, they're, they sure are. I mean, yeah. when I was with Salesforce, we didn't have so many MVPs and stuff, but these days, these MVPs are kind of like rock stars that develop their own identity, and it's really seeded a massive community. It's, it's, been, it's been probably their biggest achievement, community. I, I think it's one of the biggest achievements, and, and I took a lot from that in terms of, so I didn't mention that, you know, part of why I started Influitive was my own experience with advocates massively accelerating the sales process, but I also learned a lot from Salesforce, okay. uh, who's one of our big customers today. We have uh, several divisions that um, use our product to mobilize our advocates. But I remember going to these uh, city tours, road shows, and there would be someone that I knew was struggling with Salesforce adoption, but you give that person a glass of champagne and make them feel great, and they were evangelizing Salesforce better than any sales rep could. Incredible. And that was amazing, and I was part yeah. of putting the two and two together of create the right environment for the advocate, and they, and they do a lot. The third thing that was part of my insight was um, I learned to speak Chinese. Um, I used an amazing system that was way ahead of its time, still out there, called Chinese Pod. Okay. And this is amazing. You know, I, I spent four years trying to learn Italian in university, and I can't order spaghetti in a restaurant today. Um, I spent six months learning Chinese all by podcast. This is one of the, actually the first ever podcast, 2004. And I was able to go to China and speak, uh, do business without an interpreter. We, we, ha we, have, too, we have too much in common. Really? So I learned a load of languages bet between the ages of 27 and 30, listening to stuff. Now I went and lived in other countries as well, but it was mostly listening on, on ancient, ancient apparatus. Uh, but but that, was the, that was the primary way I did it. And that it. makes sense, because when you were a child, you didn't learn grammar by reading. Absolutely. You learned it on your own through... Mandarin in six months is phenomenal. Yeah. Well now, done. You know, good, again, good enough, good enough to have me with that interpreter. I did have a Chinese-English electronic dictionary to help me, but, but still uh, pretty, pretty amazing. I can't read or write Chinese, but I, could, I can hear it, I can understand it, and I can speak it. So anyway, that's, that's, great. that's awesome. That's, great. that's really <laughs> exciting. I would tell anybody who would listen, you've got to check out Chinese. So you're advocating no, right now. I'm advocating. Even people had no interest in speaking Chinese whatsoever. I said, you've got to check it out. Yeah, it's, yeah. Really, it's really amazing. But what I found was my advocacy really started to wane over time. And it's because I wasn't recognized for my work. I wasn't thanked for it. Oh, there was no feedback. I see. I didn't feel like I was part of something. You know, so all these experiences, all the sum total of it is what gave me the big insight for my company, which is not a blinding insight, which is give advocates the experience <laughs> they want and they will reciprocate by doing advocacy. Right? Interesting. And, uh, but to this day, that is an insight that is so, if you look at all of our competitors, um, 
nobody's focused on the advocate experience like we are. They're focused on marketers and what marketers want to buy. And that's important because marketers pay for us, uh, pay for our product. But ultimately, there's nobody out there that's going to build a better experience for advocates than us. And at the end of the day, you know, um, you know, marketers can have a great experience with your product, but if they're not getting the advocacy that they that they want, yeah, that's 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 not going to be a great fit. Um, and so I think you know the best businesses in the world are actually pretty simple when you break them down. They come down to a simple insight uh, and often like a different lens on the problem than other people are are using. And the way to acquire that other lens, you got to travel, you got to read, you got to go to conferences, you got to expose yourself to different experiences. No doubt. Yeah, all that stuff. In the next and final episode of this three-part mini-series, Mark reflects on how Lego is the king of advocate marketing and is a prime example of how B2C is always years ahead of B2B. And he waxes ever so lyrically and, dare I say, proudly about the golden age of his hometown, Toronto. Sure, why not? You've been listening to 14 Minutes of Sass. Thanks to Mike Quill, for his creativity and problem-solving skills, and to Katsu for the music. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoy the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and give the show a rating.